Ladies, gentlemen, and other fellow humans. To Discovery Debrief, a podcast designed to set a course to discuss the future of the final frontier. Oh, yes. The hell's going on? Anyway, as we were saying, to se- setting a course to discuss the future of the final frontier in Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Discovery, Lower Decks, and more, I'm co-host Chris Clown. I'm joined by the other members of our bold panel of Star Trek franchise explorers, including Tyler Monaghan. Chris, I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> and our own supreme maestro of sound, Cicero Holmes. Yeah, I'm just ready for the Ahura's Infinite playlist. So, <laughs> uh, and we are very pleased to be joined once more by a pair of great debrief friends, our resident Trexpertise cultural archaeologist, Kyle Sullivan. The only question I have is whether Scotty has a playlist of Norwegian death metal. He's an engineer. <laughs> He's got to. Yeah. And our Speed Force scholar, Javi Trujillo. I am happy to report all systems stable. <laughs> All systems stable. Oh man, oh, do we have do we have some stuff to talk about? Well, so normally uh, this would be the point in the show where we check in with our panelists and uh, get the lowdown on what they've been up to. But we got a pretty full house tonight, and I know that a lot of people have a lot of things to say about this episode in particular. Uh, we're going to touch on a lot of different things, so. Uh, in the interest of expediency, we are going to forego the check-in. We'll do our check-in next time. And we are going to move on to our discussion about Episode 9 of Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 2, Subspace Rhapsody. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is going to be a, an interesting one. This episode is very unique because, as most people are aware, this marks the very first musical episode in star trek franchise history because of that i'm going to structure this recap a little bit differently than others we've had first off we'll do the quick and dirty summary of the plot that debrief listeners should know very well sourced by the fine editors over at wikipedia and after that we'll actually tackle the discussion on a per character basis because you know the plot for this episode takes quite a backseat to the character work um, so it just seems prudent to, to kind of run through it that way. So let's begin with the plot. James Kirk visits the enterprise to shadow number one while conducting communications experiments. Uhura broadcasts a recording of anything goes into a mysterious subspace fold. It produces an improbability field that causes the enterprise crew to begin singing about their feelings like characters in a musical film. Captain Pike has an argument in song with Captain Marie Battelle. She finally has a first name in front of the crew. Chapel wins a prestigious research fellowship and reveals in song that she prioritizes it over her relationship with Spock. Laon voluntarily confesses her feelings for Kirk before the musical can force her to, but he tells her that he's already in a relationship with someone named Carol. An affected Klingon ship intends to blow up the fold, but experiments reveal that this will actually destroy all starships in the vicinity. 
Ahura determines that singing an upbeat grand finale will provide enough energy to close the improbability field before the Klingons arrive. She encourages the Enterprise crew to sing about the fulfillment they find in working together and exploring space. And when the song concludes, the improbability field dissipates. So with that, let's go down the cast list here with all of the principals who forwarded some of their stories through the music of this episode. We are uh, skipping over Dr. Mbenga just because he didn't really have much of a, a story uh, role in this episode. Love of the character notwithstanding, I assure you. Uh, and he does have a good singing voice. I think that is pretty solid, just, just for the record. But let's run things down. I kind of tried to order this in importance from least to most, although I, I made a couple of things slightly out of order. We're just throwing the rules out for, for this episode of the discussion. So, just like they did. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so we're actually starting with Captain Christopher Pike. Um, just because he didn't really have a lot to do in this episode. We got a few interactions between he and Captain Marie Battelle. Um, but, you know, I thought it was funny. My mother-in-law, Rachel's mom, of all people, had a theory that they gave the better singers more to do. Um, but I'm curious about what you guys thought of uh, of Pike and his primary song with Captain Battelle, Private Conversation. Um, who do I throw it to first? My God. Javi, why don't you kick us off? What did you make of Captain Pike's role in this episode specifically and uh and of course the the private conversation song well i mean in terms of like just glossing over really quick the the check-in like my check-in would be i've seen this episode three times in the five in the five days since it's been out in full and wow. the soundtrack so that's where my headspace is coming from and just to touch on Mabenga really quickly sure. I, I agree with you chris i think he does have a great voice but if you look at the the narrative of where we just were last week, it kind of makes sense that we don't negate that immediately by kind of pushing him in the background and let him deal with what he's feeling from what happened last week. So I kind of like, because of the switch in tones, because um, there's a lot of tone switching throughout this season, like that we give that character his moment to kind of marinate in what happened. Really? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, we could have gone with a whole Sweeney Todd piece. It would have worked. <laughs> or, or Norwegian death metal. I mean, yeah. right, right. he's not an but, idiot. Uh, in terms of Pike, I, I, I share that sentiment where he doesn't really have a lot to do in this episode. And that kind of feels like him this season overall, because this show is so good about having an ensemble that, I forget sometimes that we're not watching the original series where it focused on just two, two and a half people. Like this really is an ensemble. So Pike doesn't necessarily have the spotlight at all times. Um, and it, it also just, I saw someone say that he was speak singing most of his stuff, which I didn't necessarily feel was true, especially yeah. when it comes to private conversation. There were moments where he kind of was doing that, but that's that was part of the song and not just he did that. And I kind of like the fact that he did have some speaking parts while everyone was singing because that just kind of lent into that whole Shatnerian style of, of speak singing. So maybe it was a subliminal nod uh, to Mr. Shatner, but I liked, I liked, um, I liked the brief song that he got. I thought, uh, Anson Mount did a terrific job 
like just getting into the moment to where he's on his knees in front of her and the camera and just he's got great comedic timing if that's one thing i've learned about him as an actor through this show is that he has a tremendous sense of comedic timing and and play and i appreciated seeing uh that side of him in this episode mm-hmm. last night pre-flight and I'm going to be high. <laughs> Cheers to Bill. Um, Ty, how about you when it comes to Captain Pike? Or, you know, if there's if there's anything you wanted to, to jump in on with some of the other supporting characters who didn't have as much. Yeah. Didn't you think he turned a little bit British when he started to sing? Uh, that was the that was how it sounded to me. He um, sounded like he's coming from Kentucky. Which is a fair <laughs> choice. But uh <laughs> Um, yeah, I, uh, totally agree with Javi that like his comedic timing is awesome. I like that, like his main role in the initial like status report song is just to keep asking, why are we singing? And then (laughs) after a break, they come back and they're like discussing what's going on. And he's like, so why are we singing? And they're like, blah, 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 uncertainty field. And he's like, so why are we singing? And he just keeps saying that over and over again. I enjoyed it. Um, yeah, his, like his song, uh, was cool but i i would agree that he was not the strongest singer and i was kind of uh i like these episodes like i like that he's sometimes the person like the main character of these episodes but sometimes he really hangs back and lets the crew do their thing and he's just there to support his crew and i think that's really cool and that's the main role that he plays in this episode i didn't think his like uh the the messaging that they wanted to come across in the private conversation song seemed like not as clear to me like it seemed like they thought they were telling a very clear story of pike being like i actually didn't want to go uh on vacation with you to this specific place but like i don't i don't know i've listened to the song several times and i do like hear it but uh there's a couple places like here and with chapel where i think they're trying to move the the plot of the episode forward through the song and i was like whoa that just happened like i didn't really get the message that the the characters all got um from me listening to the song like i didn't get that chapel song was a breakup song um until like the sixth time i listened to it okay hmm. interesting yeah well that's that's the thing about this is that it it seems like it's very much in the eye of the beholder right i mean multiple viewings certainly help i've only had the chance to watch it uh twice but uh like to, Pike was like the C story. So like who, it's not a yeah, big deal, you know? Yeah, but. yeah, exactly. Uh, Cicero, my friend, Captain Christopher Pike's role in subspace Rhapsody. Uh, yeah. I think you guys, I think you guys nailed it. Um, I, I get the speak singing. I will say this. I don't know if it initially started out to be intentional, but I've only watched this episode once prior to, you know, us uh, recording. So at first I fully intended to watch it and then time got away from me. And then I kind of felt like maybe that's good, right? Maybe it's good that I've only seen it once. So I don't have the luxury of, of multiple rewatches before I've talked to you guys about it, right? So if I'm watching it and I'm a debrief listener and then I'm going to listen to debrief talk about the episode I just watched, I am kind of going to be your proxy through my weird mind. Um, so I kind of get the speak singing. Um, I kind of get 
Uh, I I enjoyed his part. His comedic timing is great. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it, it is great to have the Star Trek show. Um, I think the the Star Trek show that did this the best before Strange New Worlds is probably DS9, uh, in which it really gave the ensemble time to shine. Right where you know where each each character became fully realized versions of themselves throughout the series of DS Nine, um, and I think you're you're doing that. I think the same thing is happening in Strange New Worlds. The sure. the difference is that they've in, you know Strange New Worlds is done in nineteen episodes. What it took years for other for you know, other series to, to do, or even yeah, that's less than one season of DS nine. Right. Exactly. So, um, and, and it it is great that, you know, that Pike is always willing to take a backseat. Right. And, and, and is, it is willing to play the, the, like the fool in a lot of instances, right? Like he, he, He's okay with being played for laughs. I'll host a dinner and will be the butt of, mm-hmm. butt of jokes in the dinners in my quarters. Mm-hmm. Right? So, like, that's that's awesome. And and I love, you know, I just love this cast. I love this crew. I love what they've done. And, and I very much enjoyed this episode. Um, but I think I'll probably wind up saying a lot of things like the next person that you'll, that you'll uh, speak, hear from. Um, I think we'll agree on a lot, but disagree on, uh, the feeling it gives us. All right. Fair enough. Well, I mean, speaking of which Kyle, um, no, I mean, um, I know you expressed a fair amount of misgivings about the idea that the show is going to be going in this direction. Um, so I guess before, talking about Captain Pike and offering your perspectives on his role in this episode. Were you just in hell watching this or was there actually some <laughs> redeemable quality to it for you? Uh, well, I mean, uh, the characters are still there. The performances, yeah. you know, especially outside the singing, it felt like a normal episode. Like all, all that's been golden throughout the entire season. I 100% agree with the love fest there. In fact, seeing so much uh, love Given to Strange New World, you guys should rename the podcast a Strange New Debrief. <laughs> um, and, you know, I I do like these guys. I do like the premise. It's working for me largely. Um, I'm, I'm not a musical guy, but I watched it. I gave it a chance. I have nice things to say about it. Um, <laughs> and I will say that uh, when Pike started to sing, um, it was uh, it had a very good Johnny Cash, like country western sort of stab yeah. right at the beginning. Yeah. He is from Kentucky, I think. And I, I remember mm. he doesn't sound like it when he's speaking, but like I heard it when he started singing. I was like, that's a choice. I don't know why, but he chose that, you know, and I'm I'm left a little more perplexed than before. But, <laughs> that's you his know, pocket, baby. That's his pocket. My my feelings about musicals are probably the same as pornography. It's a little cringy if you stare at it for too long. <laughs> <laughs> you want you want to get hit with that shit adjacent, you know? And I'm right. <laughs> it, it, I spent most of the time like cringing. Sure. We can talk about it. We can talk about it. We will. We will. Um just to establish like kind of a baseline 
from everybody before we move on to the next character. Uh, don't. What is your favorite example of a musical? Even if you're not a huge fan of the genre, like Kyle, maybe in your case, what's the one you dislike the least, or maybe one that you actually do enjoy? I quite liked Steven Spielberg's West Side Story, right? And yes. it it wasn't for the music or the musical, but the way like Spielberg and camera blocking is extraordinary and has been extraordinary his entire career. And it, after seeing him do a musical, it kind of made sense. In fact, he's doing another one where he's attached as a producer to uh, the musical for the color purple that's coming out soon. Purple, so like right, 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 he's, yeah. he found his home. Finally, it took a while for him to figure his life out, but he figured it out. He's a musical director. Um, <laughs> I'd say probably that one, but I saw Lay Miss on Broadway. I've seen it in the theater. I've, I've sat through this musical or that musical. I always give them a chance, especially if the premise sounds interesting, but I'm always disappointed. And Mm -hmm. uh, maybe I'm in that space for this one. Okay. All right. I think that's fair. Uh, Kyle, you need to see Book of Mormon. Will I be Mormon by the end of it? Oh, no, you will not be. Oh, thank God. You will be enlightened. Book of Mormon. Book of Mormon, you'll you'll love that one. What about Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat? I wanted to like... What, what what do the kids call it? Like cut myself after. <laughs> it was it wasn't good. Anyway, continue. Anyway, yes. Thank you for sharing. Uh, Ty, how about you? In terms of musicals, what uh, what resonates with you typically? Dude, I wasn't prepared for this question. I will tell you, I played uh, Rapunzel's prince in Into the Woods in uh, oh. I don't know, you know, seventh eighth grade somewhere in there thereabouts. Oh. Um, is that the Chris Pine part in the movie? I don't remember. There's a movie? Uh, I'm yeah. not a musicals guy. So. Javi, <laughs> <laughs> uh, how about you? Uh, my mom raised me on like all the old movies that she watched. So a lot of like Doris Day and Hope and Crosby stuff. So like when in uh, First Contact – when she sings in the holodeck moonlight becomes you like I was the only person in the theater geeking out because I recognized that song from I think it's road to Morocco. Um, and my fiance is very much into musicals and musical theater. Cause she was a theater kid in high school or in college rather. So our current musical du jour would probably be tick, tick boom uh, mm-hmm. with Andrew Garfield, but she's a big Jonathan Larson fan. She's seen rent a ton of times live and uh, took me to go see it once too. And um, so definitely raised a lot around musicals. They didn't really gel with me. This sounds so weird uh, to like Moulin Rouge. Mm. Like I, I finally got like why people were singing all the time because I felt the emotions were really intense in those performances. So I got why they erupted into song. So it's re- kind of recontextualized how I view the medium. Um, and, and I definitely felt that in this episode, like where their emotions carried through in the songs, like there was a purpose for why it was all steeped in character, which I really appreciated. Sure. Which isn't necessarily what happens in musicals from older eras. Yeah, definitely. Cicero, can I just say, yeah, can I just say real quick too, uh, just, uh, aside from like traditional, like stage or film musicals or whatever, 
like I love me a good new age Disney princess, like a Moana or like a, like a Raya or like these. And like, so to me, like that, those felt like the touchstones, right? Like the, um, you're telling a story, it's not sung through, but there's these times when an individual character exposes their inner feelings or the town decides to like tell you about their town through like a big number. Um, and so I don't know if that's like an appropriate comparison to people who are like serious about musicals. Um, <laughs> but to me, it still felt like really familiar and like uh, hitting those notes. Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, it's hard to get more authentic than Lin-Manuel Miranda, I think. And he oh, had a- Hamilton was great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cicero, you have a prototypical musical you go to? Uh, so, Not yeah, cats. I guess. Right, right. Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, certainly not cats. Um, um, yeah. So I am a musical theater kid. Um, I've auditioned for plays that were on Broadway. Um, and, um, but yeah, did not, did not get the rules. Um, but nonetheless, um, I, you know, eat, sleep, breathe musicals. I love them. Um, I've seen many of them. Um, my favorite movie of all time is probably West Side Story. Hmm. Um, Robert Wise or Spielberg? Robert Wise. Nice. However, right, like, so if I could take the arrangement and choreography from Robert Wise and put it into the Spielberg film, that would be the perfect film for me. Yeah. I mean, you know, so even knows how to sling a camera. Right, right. So there were there were choices in the in the the Spielberg one that were made that were different that I that I missed, you know, that I was waiting to see him interpret um into into his film and they weren't there at all. And I, you know, I've really I've really missed that. So if we could have merged those two together, we'd have the the perfect film. But I adore West Side Story. Um, sure. And, uh, but in, in TV format though, in the, in the medium that for which this show is, is located, my favorite musical episode is probably the music Meister episode from Batman Brave and the Bold. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, in fact, I, I did watch that uh, today, and uh, yeah, it is that that it, they have like six numbers in a twenty-three minute episode, right? So, and they're all they're all earworms. It's 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 really it was really good, and uh, this one was good like that. Right. Um, I, yeah, I would say yeah, this. Uh, the Buffy episode that everybody keeps talking about that that clearly was an inspiration for this episode. Um, the Flash Music Meister episode was actually also really good. The the live action Flash one, which is right right up Javi's alley, I'm sure. Um, that I may have that, that soundtrack too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but again, uh, like like the Batman episode. Uh, like the Flash episode, this episode featured, um, you know, the the people that were featured were Broadway actors, right? These were people that have 
made their livings, have paid rent with their voice. Uh, some of whom were in rent, right? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. they were paying so, rent by singing about. So you, this, yeah. You're saying this right. episode of of Strange New Worlds. Uh, oh well, I, I was thinking about in in the ones that I mentioned, but I think Celia oh, okay, may sorry. have been Celia yeah. may have been. She's in, she has a yeah. Grammy yeah. for uh, well, she's got, yeah, she's, yeah, she's got a Grammy. She also has a Tony Nom. But I'm I'm wondering. I thought she was in a Rent ensemble somewhere. Hmm. Yeah, I thought, well, but we, I, I could be wrong. Those of you who can see our episode outline will note that I saved Ahura for last in order from, you know, least to most important. So uh, we are definitely going to talk about her and the the pipes that she stretches in this episode singing because holy damn! But um. It just as for me, real fast, when I was a kid, I was all about Grease. Um, yes, love Grease. Movie, and I saw it in yes. a local production that was like, I lived in a very small town, five minutes from the Canadian border. So it was like very blatantly sanitized. And it's kind of funny to think about now. But uh, yeah, so Grease, when I was a kid, um, when I was a teenager, probably Phantom of the Opera, if that counts. Mm. And I know that that's like, that's like saying you're a, a, a huge Michael Bay fan for the musical community, I know. But, uh, you know, was, I saw that show uh, in Vegas, actually. And very, like, the orchestra is just so powerful. And it definitely captivated me the first time I saw it. Nowadays, it's probably Hamilton. Um, one last time never fails to make me well up. Uh, I saw it in Chicago and of course I've seen the filmed production of the original Broadway cast. Uh, and yeah, that one last time. Yeah. Something Chris Jackson singing one... that. Oh God. Chris Jackson singing that, uh, to Obama. Yeah. In, in yeah. the white house, uh, in the white house in like, it's like November of 2016. Yeah. To to the president, you know, as he's lame ducking after a collective national moment. trauma, right? Right, so, right, right. Yeah. Like just like sitting in that moment. Watch, please, if you've never seen that, and you're hearing my voice, you've never seen that. Just watch it on yeah. YouTube and just live in that moment for a second. And oh man, it is it is powerful. And interestingly enough, this is totally tangential, but Christopher Jackson, now he's like a host for a lot of the programming that they do at Mount Vernon, which is mm. awesome. Wow. And it's somewhere wow. that I wow. have wanted to go for a very, very long time. Incredible. Um, a little bittersweet, I think, actually going and, there, but and, still and fascinating. Incredible. Um, incredible. All right. Well, we got a lot more characters to talk about. So let's move along to Lieutenant Commander Una Chin Riley. Um, Rebecca Romaine herself also has singing experience. I found out she actually studied voice at UC Santa Cruz before she was sort of taken into a modeling track. Um, but she is a singer, uh, and she seemed to probably most directly serve as a conduit here to provide insight either into Jim Kirk or to Laon. Um, but what did you guys make of Una's role in this episode and her songs connect to your truth and keeping secrets? Uh, Ty, why don't you kick us off for, uh, I'm in a similar place with Javi as far as like my exposure to this episode. I've seen it 
a couple of times and I've listened to the soundtrack quite a lot. And uh, I think these two songs are the two clunkers uh, on the soundtrack to me. Um, It's not about her singing or anything. Like, I think it's cool that the cast all sang and um, I didn't necessarily feel like her performance blew me away or anything, but uh, I just think like, it's kind of what you said, Chris, like she's sort of acting as a conduit. Um, I was actually a little bit like confused by the keeping secret song. Like if the message you want to get across through song is that like, Hey, it's like not great to keep secrets. It's weird to sing like two and a half verses about like how you like to keep secrets and then just like (laughs) throw in a little twist at the end. Like, um, I thought there were a couple issues in this episode where I was like hoping for the, um, the reprise is that how you say that word like the the final verse where they twist things around and i thought they nailed it with the huras but i did not think they nailed it um with a couple of the other folk songs uh like on and like number one um so i was really like I, i i thought her uh basically uh all of her songs like including the one with kirk um i just didn't love they were like the low points of the episode for me Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, Kyle, when it comes to number one's use in this episode, um, it seemed like maybe with her is where they tried to emphasize the idea that they're not necessarily in control of the amount of information and emotion they're expressing. Uh, did you get that sense from her? And did that kind of idea work for you in the scenes involving number one? I don't know. Uh, I mean, I guess, I guess I got the point. I don't know. That's a hard. That's actually hard for me to answer. I may, I may you, be. How did you feel in the moment when you were watching? Connect to your truth when she's doing a duet with Paul Wesley as Jim Kirk. Were you feeling like there was something to this in service of the story, or did you not feel that way? Um, I feel a little bit like Ty does about the Keeping Secret song. Everything gets sort of stretched out for verse to a point, to a breaking point almost. I felt like this one probably felt a little bit too stretched out for the moment and the information they're trying to impart. You know, some of the songs worked really well in that regard. This one, eh, it was filler. All right. Fair enough. Uh, Javi, how about you when it comes to Una's contributions to this one? Um, I'm pretty similar to Ty in as much as they were my least favorite songs on the on the track, uh, especially uh, her song "De La Antonia." That uh, it just it took me till this morning till the end of that song where I started to kind of get it, but I felt like the staging of it was kind of wasted. Like they put all that effort into the low gravity and having them spin around like they were dancing. Um, but all they did was she went up once and then they went back down and that was it. And part of that shot was outside where it looked really, it was outside looking in. So it looked very CG ish. So it, the whole thing just kind of felt wasted. Um, and it just felt contradictory almost. Uh, the one with Kirk though, I liked a lot better um, is it did carry over like that kind of Gilbert and Sullivan vibe that we know she's a fan of. And just overall, like 
a lot of people in this episode are working through their feelings about things, but Una's not in that place because she's been on the other side of it. Now, now that we're past, you know, ad aspera per aspera, if I said that right, like she's, she's found like her identity and her arc and who she should truly be. And she's found like that acceptance and through that acceptance, she's able to try new things and, and try a different style of things because she knows where she's going to be now. She's going to be on a poster on Boimler's wall in 200 years almost. So like, I like that idea of her being more confident in herself and not hiding her secret or her truth anymore and embracing who she is. Cause that's like what we all want is to accept who we are. And the fact that her journey is now impacting Lieutenant Kirk's to help him become the kind of leader we're going to see him be in three seasons and six, seven movies. Like I like that she's playing a role in his development just because if you get all meta with it, with number one being major Barrett, Roddenberry back in the day and you know, all that kind of stuff. Like it all just ties it together really nicely for me. So I thought one song was more successful than the other. Um, but while she's talented, they're kind of towards the bottom of my repeat playlist. Sure. Yeah. Cicero. Well, what did you make of number one's use here? Well, I feel like there were, there were like four plots in this, in this uh, episode. Yeah, the the A plot with Uhura and and the ship, right? The the B plot with uh, Spock and Chapel. This the C plot with uh, you know whoever you want to put it put there, whether it be uh, whether it be Pike. You have to put Pike there. That's what I said earlier. Yeah, and then and then the D plot would then be Laan and Una, Um, and (laughs) and I. There was very little about that plot line that I that I enjoyed in this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I felt like you know Laan. There are times in this show when you can go on these massive starships and not see a soul in a hallway, um, and then there are other times when it's hard to get through the hallway because there's so many people. But Laan seems to always be around when someone is opening up to Kirk. And, you know, and it's like, like, how, how are you, how are you doing that? Like, you're the security chief. You should be doing some other things. It's called stalking, Cicero. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Odo would have been there. That's (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's true. Odo would have definitely been there. Um, But, but like, uh, he would have been there for different reasons. He would have been um, like but, a great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was a vase in a vase. Um, but like, so I just, I just didn't really like anything about their plot. Uh, Javi said it best about that song. Like, well, the song was kind of a clunker, but the whole, like, why did they spin around? They call it a duet, but uh, Laura doesn't slow jam. Sing. Right. Yeah. Lon doesn't sing. It was just, it was just, uh, uh, number one singing. And then it's been around a couple of times for reasons only it to come like back. It seemed like they were going to kiss or something. It right. was like, I, I thought yeah. it was a strange vibe. 
Yeah, <laughs> it was it was a it was a very weird. It seemed like they may have like uh, Laon maybe had done something and gotten a promotion and. And number one was reminding her that, you know, it's good to keep secrets. Like there were, that was a weird, weird, weird moment. Uh, but, but the, the, the moments, even the moments with her and Kirk, like when, when Kirk was in what is a Jeffrey's tube now, but uh, then I think wasn't, he was like, he was talking to her and she seemed to like, I don't know. I like, I think she was feeling the riz the Kirk Riz and, uh, and was, was like, you know, Hey, if, if that, if this thing happens, it happens, I'm okay with it. Um, so I like, you're talking about number a, one with the waltzing one, down the corridor. Yeah. yeah. Before they were waltzing down the corridor when they were in the Jeffrey's tube and they were like talking to each other. Oh, uh, right, right. yeah, yeah. He, she was, she was saying stuff and then she was like, yeah, I don't know why, I'm admitting these things to you. He just right? has like, that effect on people. We've touched on this. He's, right. But, he's but just that's, I mean, that's, that, that, right. That calls into question why it was happening at that moment. And the reason that it was happening at that moment is because she was falling into, uh, she was falling into, into the, into the, like the sphere of Kirk. Yeah. And the Kirk and, pocket. And, yeah, <laughs> it's a hot pocket, really. Yeah, filled, exactly. with, filled with Kirk. Yeah, um, uh, and yeah, that's and so she just started admitting her innermost desires. Yeah, I guess so. Hey, it's it it is hard to be James Tiberius Kirk. <laughs> that it that's is. not the last time I'm going to pull that out. By the way, that it is. Yeah, that's the first oh, no. time. Um, yeah. yeah. That's that's not the first time you said that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. My wife is here now. Right, exactly. Hello, Rachel. And she can confirm that. (laughs) Rachel is here. Rachel is saying it at breakfast. He says it at breakfast. Yeah. Yeah. No, at breakfast, I I pull out my communicator, you know, just be Um, Welcome. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to, one of the things that I asked everybody a a couple of minutes ago before you joined us was just to get a baseline of people's tastes when it comes to musicals. What are your favorite examples of the genre? The ones that you just really like? Um, of any musicals or films? That could be either or. Oh, uh, okay. I mean, my basic answer is Hamilton. Okay, we um, talked about I that. I guess my like my less basic favorite is Jesus Christ Superstar. Ah. Um, just I kind of grew up with that one, and it taught me most of what I know about um, the New Testament. Uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, I, I like that one a lot. Um, yeah, so those are my favorites. All right, great. Well, we're going through character by character, just yeah, in terms sure. of the roles. We already touched on Captain Pike, who didn't have much of a role to play here. We're Anton yeah. Mount's not really a singer. Maybe, yeah, probably, probably not. I mean, I think he did a pretty respectable job, considering. 
Um, yeah, yeah. But, you know. I just read that like basically the the songs were doled out based on who was most comfortable singing. And I was saying that was your um, mom's hypothesis. I believe I read an article where that was confirmed. Oh, so you gave that information to her that the, she then relayed to me. No, I did no? not talk with her. Oh, about okay. It, All right. So. Well, fair <laughs> um, well, in terms of Una's role, she had two songs, one of which was a duet with Paul Wesley, uh, Connect to Your Truth, and then the other one that she basically sang to La'an that was called sure. Keeping Secrets. What did you make of her role in this episode, even though it wasn't very big? Um, yeah, I mean, it was fine. I think I echo what I walked in on every other people saying was that maybe these weren't the best songs in yeah. the, the episode. I think overall, I didn't love most of the songs in the episode. Um, oh. I think there was only like a couple that I really, really liked. And maybe if I listen to them more, I'll like them more. I don't know. Okay. But I, I just didn't think there were a lot of bangers in this episode. Mm -hmm. um, so. And you only need one. You I, only, I guess you only so. need one. Well, uh, let's, let's move along to Lieutenant La'an Noonien Singh. Um, we'll talk about the big emotional beats that La'an exposes later, but I'm kind of more interested in the stuff leading up to her first song, How Would That Feel?, and how she identifies a security threat caused by the subspace fold that's making everyone sing. Uh, I actually kind of think that she demonstrates a lot of the narrative value of this episode on the show overall because of the way that the fold makes people express things that they never would otherwise. She identifies that as a potential security threat, which I thought was an interesting idea considering uh, you know, that it's taking place on a Star Trek starship. But what did you guys make of uh, of Laon's use before she actually has her heart to heart with uh, with Lieutenant Kirk? Uh, Cicero, why don't you kick us off for this one? Well, um, I will say that that's the big biggest part of her contribution, right? Like her singing voice is good. Her song was not, mm. um, and but like. Laon's purpose in this episode was to to really like drive us along um and and you know help us understand exactly what was going on and all of that stuff was important and you know like the best parts of of her in this episode were when she was speaking and not singing or being sung to sure and she just released an album, I think, too, Christina Chong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it dropped right when this episode dropped. Oh, okay. Yeah, she's yeah. got singles. The EP is Friday. Oh, really? Okay. But she yeah. was selling, I think she was selling, she was the, selling ahead of time the CDs at the yeah. con. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I would have loved to have been there. Especially that Quinto Peck panel. Oh, That yeah. would have been a lot of fun. Oh, man. Ugh, missing out. Uh, Ty, how about next. you? Yeah. Quinto. Pe Pex Quinto. This is a this is a dream team right there. Uh Ty, what did you make of Laon's role, everything up to the moment that she spoke to Kirk? Man, I think I I think that's a really good catch by you, Chris, like pointing out like uh she's really like fulfilling her like that extreme competence thing that we talk about on this crew, right? Like she's doing exactly what you need your security officer to do. 
and she's picking up something from hearing number one song like that I wouldn't necessarily have picked up right from that that like oh this is somehow compelling people to like share their secrets or whatever and and some combination of her inner trauma about and fear about being vulnerable and her training and skill as a security officer um is making her pick up on that and then i also like she's the one that uh walks over and cuts off pike's call while everyone else on the crew is just (laughs) sitting there listening to this like he's he's, they're saying it's a private conversation like you guys could be polite like at least pretend like you're doing something else gosh but uh yeah and and i i will say also about uh we were texting even before the show and I was just like, I was just like relishing the idea of like a self-aware La'an who like couldn't stop themselves from singing and was like rolling her eyes at herself. Right. And it was like almost right. But I, I just felt the, the song, I, I, especially on repeated listens, I actually uh, like the song quite a bit, but um, I just think it's a little repetitive. She's not emotive at all. She just kind of stands there and looks and like, touches a watch and puts the watch back. Um, and that's what made it hard. Uh, it's actually easier to listen to on the soundtrack than it was for me to watch um, on the episode. Um, but uh, yeah, I thought she was like, like I was like, uh, I, I, I kind of liked the song, but I felt like it was some missed potential there too. Sure. Uh, Kyle, how about you just in terms of the role that she played uh, everything up to the moment she spoke to Kirk, what did you make of it? Um, I felt like I was in the Barbie movie for about five seconds, you know, like, <laughs> like feelings are bad and I want a patriarchy of horses and like um, <laughs> feelings are a security risk. And I was like, hold the phone. But I, I think it kind of makes a little bit of sense. And I did like that. She stopped the singing for Pike. I was like, finally someone with some sense. <laughs> um, but I'm surprised to hear that she's a musician. Like the, the voice work sounded good, but the lip syncing, I thought for her was kind of the worst. Yes, no, I no, noticed that as well. No <laughs> offense. And in and in this song in particular, I noticed a, a plague that was going to happen for all the other most all the other pieces, except for the big finale, where the camera didn't really know what to do. Right. No, yeah. the, the person was just walking back and forth in their quarters, man. That's not what musicals are about. Like it's spontaneous song and <sighs> dance. And so, like, this was the the first song where I was like, we're just, we're not, we're just gonna, this is an audio episode. So, anyway. Uh, but, you know, I guess feelings are a security risk. Generally speaking. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, Rachel. Yeah, I mean, it was fine. Um, her song was, it's a snooze. It, it was just like, it's a fine song and she's a good singer. It was just shot super boringly. like. I I was bored. I'm sorry. You guys both mentioned the 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 lip syncing. Is that an editing issue or is that something I, else? Because I, they're singing to they recorded it later, so I think they're singing to their voices oh. or to their like um, live, themselves live or something on yeah. screen. I mean, I have no idea what skill set it takes to be good at lip syncing in that scenario kyle have you ever had to shoot lip syncing yeah i've done music videos and it is awkward as hell it it never isn't awkward you have to let the musician do the singing but like in a full-scale you know feature film production i don't know what the right answer is um i figured they're just playing 
pre-recorded tape right at them and they it, you know my response when shooting stuff like that is to turn the music all the way up so if the actor needs to sing in order to do the physicality of it they it can be hid behind the the screen of the loud noise but i mean who knows man there, there's probably a union role where you have to like play it at 13 decibels or something i'm, I'm not but it, for her above all else it felt very lip syncy and i, I was it, it stood out to me Interesting. Her part in the first song was the first point for me at which I realized, oh, they're lip syncing. Like they recorded this in a studio, which I mean is obvious, but also like I wasn't (laughs) thinking about it until then. And I was like, oh, no, they recorded all of this in the studio, not on the set. I mean, look, we talked about the the Les Mis movie where they recorded it all on on the the set set and and it was garbage. So that's yeah. not the answer. Which, um, which is why musicals belong on Broadway. Go go see that because like it doesn't translate the same always on onto film. You know, that's why it's lived on Broadway for so long. You know, that's why there was a musical era. You know, in the sixties or fifties or whatever for Hollywood, where they flirted with it, but it, it never really broke out beyond that. And we've mm-hmm. they're trying to to restart it now, but I don't think it's ever going to catch because like. The, the best part about a musical I'm guessing is being in there in person. Right. Mm-hmm. So what you're telling me is Robert Wise graduated from West side story to star Trek, the motion picture. Uh, and the sound of music, Robert Wise, he, he figured the game out. I don't know what magic <laughs> they had in that time period, but that, that is, those are the best musicals of all time. Like that's the standard and everyone that's tried to do it, even like Buffy or whomever, it's always been a little bit clunky for this reason, like the mechanics of it never really fit together sometimes. And, mm-hmm. and this song with lawn is like, it's something wasn't clicking like production wise for me. Interesting. Yeah. Well, we'll have to revisit that for the other characters. Um, but Javi, your perspective on lawn up to the moment she actually spoke to Jim. Well, the, during the number one in Kirk song, you know, as that camera pulled back and there she is stalking him. That was my moment where I turned to Brooke and I was like, I just said they should have done this like two episodes ago when Kirk and Spock meet for the first time. And like, I actually got to see like a version of that with her just kind of sadly watching Kirk do his thing. Uh, so that kind of made me happy, but I, I actually like the song lyrics about, you know, taking the wheel aside which just seemed mismatched to me. I, I don't know, but yeah, I wheels on starships these days. Yeah. Um, the, the thing that struck me about that song though, that, that sold it for me was the pickups they did with her and Kirk in the hotel room in the alternate reality. Like I, I totally yeah. get where everyone's saying how the, it, it wasn't shot very excitingly. She's just sitting there in her quarters, but that stuff, seeing their intimacy and reminding us of, you know, what he meant to her. And she expresses that later, like why that is like, I don't know. I, I got really invested this season in Laon and, and how she relates to Kirk. And so for me, that was the highlight of that song was, was seeing them and in quieter moments, just, just being real people and not worrying about Gorns or Edith Keelers or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that that's a fair point. I mean, I would argue that that's probably a strength of this episode is that we got 
emotional conveyance. I mean, granted, they were forced into giving it, but we got emotional conveyance that really like moved things along and crystallized some things that are a little bit more ambiguous uh, for the purposes of expediency. Because I mean, ten episode seasons, we don't know how long the show is going to go. Uh, it's not a bad thing to throw something like this at it, but we'll get to that more when we yeah. wrap up our our thoughts. Well, let's move on to Nurse Christine Chapel. Um, so we're getting now into some juicier parts of the episode in terms of the character work. Not only are we going back to what are little girls made of, season one episode of the original series, but this occurrence is forcing Christine, at least it seems, to rather curtly dismiss Spock and become overwhelmed with excitement at the prospect of her new fellowship with Dr. Roger Corby. That's a name I haven't heard in a while. Um, so how do you guys feel about that element and subplot coming together along with the song, I'm Ready? Uh, Ty, you already mentioned this song. Why don't you start us off for this one? Yeah, so uh, this I think that might be a good time to mention. Uh, I think these songs were written by two of the members of Letters to Cleo, which is a alternative band with a bunch of pop culture connections like this. They uh, did songs for 10 Things I Hate About You and featured in Parks and Rec and um, have done music for other like video game uh, like and, and movie type of things. Um, and this was the reason I bring that up right now is just because I thought this song together with Spock's song using the same motif, uh, through the verses, uh, like this is where the episode really hit its stride to me. This is where it really started to work for me, um, as a musical, um, and where it was like, okay, I can ignore, like, I don't care so much about the individual's voices, right? I don't care that like, they're trying to do this big showpiece thing, but they're just like lifting, lifting Christine Chapel up in the air. And then they just stand there and the camera revolves around. And it's like, is that what you would do if you were like making a musical from scratch? No. But does that make sense to do when you have a TV show set and you're trying to film a musical episode in it? Like, yeah, you know, and it worked for me. Um, I, I thought it was cool to see this, like, uh, and, and this is where I thought the song actually carried through like the, storytelling not just the character development because you saw like the joy like the the friends celebrating together like just partying together and appreciating her good news you know and they're like the backup vocals they're like you've earned it deserve it you know and like that was cool to see them and and that just made like spock's pain in the situation uh all the more acute and he kind of actually disappears like they don't even show like he's not even in the room apparently for a while as the camera is panning around um, and then when the camera finally finds him again, he's, he's sad, you know? Um, so like, I, I liked this song. I didn't quite get, uh, as I mentioned earlier that like by the end of the song, Chapel was saying like, we're broken up. Uh, and I also like, are we going to talk about like a three month fellowship doesn't mean that you need to break up, especially with a guy who has been doing a long distance relationship for, months years with uh to pring like it, it, it was obviously an excuse but um it was just interesting how everyone took that at face value to me like this three-month fellowship it's like oh yeah that's it you know we got to pick say one that, or the other it's like do you say say that again for the writers in the back holy crap please thank you hard hard, hard stop at a three-month fellowship uh yeah 
Rachel, uh, Nurse Chapel's role in this and her song, I'm Ready. I mean, you've gotten good news for getting accepted into a big program in the past, so... I guess. I, I don't <laughs> feel like... I think I was overshadowed by uh, my uh, exasperation at said program by the time I was finished with sure. it. It has erased all happiness uh, that I ever felt. Now, that'll make a good musical. <laughs> yeah maybe not um uh yeah I, this was one of the better songs i thought and um one of the more enjoyable numbers for me i similarly to ty did not understand that they were broken up at the end and was confused as to why spock um felt that way and i'm still kind of confused at which point she broke up with him in this song hmm. Um, and yeah, I, uh, I share the sentiment that the three month fellowship does not seem like a reason to break up with someone, but sure. that's, that's your decision. It's your choice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cicero, what did you make of nurse chapel here? You know, she's gone away for, for the summer. Right, it's going to Europe right. for the summer. You, we got to break up. Like, come on, come on. I it's just, not even Europe. I, it's like science camp. Right, right, exactly. It's like when you yeah. leave school at the end of one year, and then you right. go off into summer, and you feel like a new person going into yeah. tenth grade instead. Of oh, nine, for crying right? out loud! Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Miss, miss me with that, right? These, these are these are adults, um, or at least they're supposed to be. Yeah, the the number was cool. Um, I really I dug right. Like this is to to Ty's point, right? Like there could have been more dancing. There could have been more. Like it it could have been bigger. Um, there was a lot of melodrama in in this episode, right? There was a lot of like telenovela esque exaggerations of of things. Um, but but there wasn't a lot of movement. There was a lot of camera movement in this number. But the number itself was was really was really cool. Uh, and and I just I also like at the end of the number I was like, wait a minute, why is Spock leaving? Right? <laughs> and and then he left, and then I realized like, oh yeah, they they broke up. Like whatever. Okay, I, you know, I guess it wasn't. I guess they really weren't, you know, <laughs> like that, you know, because <laughs> uh, I don't think I would have broken up with with uh, my human girlfriend uh, just because <laughs> just because she was going to be gone for three months. I'm a Vulcan. I lived for like 200 years. Do I care about three months? <laughs> you got seven years in between Pon Far, so right. I mean, what's three months? Now we're, we we didn't get a Pon Far piece. Now that's what we're missing. There you go. That's true. That would have been kind of fascinating. Um, let's see. What was it twenty? That would have been six. Pon Far. Pon Far. <laughs> he might be due. He might be due. <laughs> if I'm thinking about it. Oh, they're going to do saying. an episode on it, man. And not well in could. three months. But if they do a musical number, it'll be like more of a Radiohead thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Kyle, I want to go to you just because I think this is a dynamic, a relationship that has more significance for Star Trek fans, certainly. 
just because we know that the relationship between Spock and Chapel is not designed to last. We know what it's destined for. Um, this adds some, and obviously when we get to Spock, we'll have a lot more to say, but this adds additional color to their dynamic that maybe we didn't have before. Uh, what did you make of, of nurse chapel's role here and, uh, and what was conveyed in the song? Um, I think the, I don't need no man or I don't need no Vulcan, uh, you know, sentiment was, uh, you know, enterprising so to speak you know how very hey. how very feminist of of nurse chapel like, 10 points i get i get there you go <laughs> i get the sense <laughs> that um i don't know it, you know she's very she, she loves the new things that she moves on quickly maybe she loves lightly and passionately and then like moves on the next shiny new officer that comes aboard she's like oh nice and maybe 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 that's a failing maybe that's a a strength um poor spock he's he this is this is emo spock if we've ever seen spock you know he's um in in his quarters you know wearing black wristbands and like putting gel in his hair and like putting on white powder he's sad he was very sad it was obviously sad he was obviously affected by an emotional moment he felt broken up with so we felt broken up with um this was like the most 1960s thing I've seen this show do <laughs> uh, since the original series. Like there was a wide shot and there we were seeing a bunch of officers dancing. And there's even one guy doing like this 1960s go-go thing. And I was like, I, I couldn't tell if I was impressed or not. I was like, that's <laughs> kind of a cool throwback. I didn't expect that at all. Um, but you know, it, I, I guess it was kind of a breakup. It did have a very breakup vibe to it. And that makes me a little sad because I thought we these guys should go on for at least a season, you know, uh, wailing each other. Yes. Hey, wailing. Gotta keep it going. <laughs> yeah. Keep well, the whales I, I, wailing, baby. Wailing, I, I baby. I should have said TOS fans. You're right, Ty. That's the, we're all Star Trek fans here. But the, the, the TOS oriented i should say are very aware of this poor choice of words on my part yeah. thank you star trek without the colon they yeah, exactly the, the dash nothing <laughs> right? dash nothing yeah, right exactly trek boomers uh, right <laughs> uh javi uh, what's your take on uh on the song and and nurse chapel's role here no, i really dug it it kind of had like this amy winehouse vibe going on with it and it took me on the second viewing to catch that it was like Ty had pointed out, like the melodies were the same. Just one was more celebratory. One was more somber, but um, to your guys' point, like it was, was it episode five of season one where she's, they're at like the star base kind of doing the shore leave thing. And that fling that she, that off and on fling she has with that guy he wants to get serious with her and she's like, Oh, uh, there's my friend Spock. I'm going to go talk to him. This isn't yeah, going to work out. That's true. Yeah. And so this is like a chapel who, who's very much non-committal because she has all these goals that she wants to, to meet. So I, I get where Cicero's coming from. Like, yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Why would she just, why is it over for three months when she's going to be back with them? Um, 
but it does kind of, to me, it felt like it was in her character. And um, I, I just like the, the whole party vibe of the scene. Like, like you guys mentioned earlier, there's like times on the ship where there's like nobody, but like this set usually feels very full and very alive. And I like seeing that and, and very congested. Cause that's something that I've noticed in, you know, this post COVID world where, or COVID world period, I guess, where you can see in productions that people are spaced out. Um, everything seems a little more sparse. So this actually felt made the scene feel very lived in having that many people around. Um, so I, I really enjoyed this song. I, th- I thought it was a highlight for me. All right. Excellent. Well, uh, so after nurse chapel, we have Lieutenant Spock. Um, and as much as Laan was really instrumental in pushing forward the concept of the episode, this to me exemplifies the assistance the concept offered for canon and expediency and character work. Because after this episode, Rachel and I actually rewatched the more intimate moment that was shared between Spock and Nurse Chapel in the naked time after they're both after Nurse Chapel infects Spock with the Psy 2000 virus, and it leads him to have kind of an emotional breakdown over the course of that episode. And I was kind of shocked at how well things fit together after watching this specifically, because there is a lot that's unsaid in that scene. And now that we have this context to fill in some of those gaps, it's surprising how much these moments colored that scene, at least for me, like it might be your mileage may vary. But I thought things fit together pretty well, um, and, and that's not something that I was expecting. Um, you know, the emotional high caused here by the subspace fold really did seem to accelerate the pace of the relationship to a point where it also appears like it's shoving Spock closer in the direction of the guy that we know in the original series and in his sort of TOS countenance. Um, you know, far less emotionally expressive and more reserved and and just from a mechanical perspective, I thought that that was actually really cool. But uh, what does the panel make of that, especially when it comes to uh, Ethan Peck's rendition of I'm the X, because that boy can sing. Like, I think that that was a bit of, it was a surprise to me, but what did you guys think of it? Kyle, you're nodding. Please take it away first. I I think Ethan, Ethan Peck definitely had the pipes on this one. Like that was the, a, the most surprising and he might've been the best voice. He was very good. Um, what do you make about uh, like the idea that we're kind of shoving Spock closer to the guy that we do know from the five-year mission under Kirk? I, I think it's cool. I think that's what they should be doing. Um, he He's taking some pretty big, wild, emotional uh, vacations in this version of Spock, but like it makes sense that he gets it out of his system and then he uh, he's like, no one likes me. Nurse Chapel broke up with me. I'm just going to try the Vulcan way until V'ger arrives. And then that makes sense yeah. to me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, Ty, what did you make of uh, of Spock's use here in this episode and the song? Yeah, I agree. Great. Uh, just great voice. Uh, I really enjoy Like, it's a song about math. Like, it's the song is like a math pun. It's great, you know? Um, and I think upon further listens, like the lyrics really do hold up. And I think 
he even addresses some of what we just talked about with uh, the different ways that him and uh, Chapel maybe looked at the relationship and kind of he sort of seems to recognize that he was giving more, uh, you know, than she was uh, to that relationship uh, in some ways. Um, and it's good that they both figured that out. Uh, but right, like he's kind of like, I betrayed my core philosophy. And so now um, unbending reason must be my true north and so it's just really uh yeah i thought one of the better jobs of again just like clearly telling the story through the lyrics um and again i just loved how the motif matched up with uh chapel's song i thought that worked really well yeah excellent rachel what did you make of spock and i'm the x um i also liked this song Uh, i didn't think it was boring i really liked how ethan pack um kind of does the spock voice while singing um which i thought was very skillful and um pleasant pleasantly surprising i suppose i i don't know i was a little worried about spock singing but i i think he Mm -hmm. he kind of got it he got the spock vibe (laughs) while also singing quite nicely so sing pretty nicely uh cicero what did you make of of spock here i mean it seems like he he didn't say a lot in comparison to other characters, but he certainly expressed a lot. Um, I've I've got to apologize um, because I'm I lied to all of you um, when when I said that I've only watched this episode once. I I did only watch the episode once, but I watched this number twice. I rewound it and watched it again with the captions on because it was so cleverly written. It was a math problem, right? Like that was like, it was a math problem that was full of double entendre. Like, you know, I'm the X, right? Like all of that, all of that worked so well. Ethan Peck. Yeah. Really, really well done. Right. Like he was the biggest surprise for me in the episode, we're going to talk about her in a second. Um, I already knew, you know, like, you know, like I knew her bona fides. So like, it wasn't, it wasn't anything where I was expecting to be surprised by how talented she, she uh, is um, or they are. Um, But, but, uh, but Ethan Peck was like, "Wow, okay." And this song was was really, really good. I I really I really dug that number. Mm-hmm. Excellent, Javi. Round. Oh, us but up. but oh, one second, one oh. second. I I just want to say that uh, you know, kudos to Ty who pointed this out. He sings the song. The song kicks ass, and then he bounces and he leaves a her to do the work. The rest of the work. <laughs> He just He's like, yeah, I'm the ex. Oh, he just got broken I'm, up with, man. He's got to go, right, go to I'm, his quarters and cry. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's going to sit It is funny, though, that he's like, okay, forget it. No more emotion, just reason. But I'm so emotional that I have to stop doing my work. And Uhura <laughs> right. can sing a song about how that's what she does, like finish that's other right. people's jobs. <laughs> I mean, when you're half human and half Vulcan, life is nothing but one big contradiction. So, Yeah, he handled the breakup better than yeah. I ever did. That's for sure. Yeah. Really. I expect a post-credit scene cover of Walking Contradiction by Green Day. Sung by Ethan Peck. (laughs) 
Someone's going to make an AI of that now. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, that's coming. Yeah. I mean, I already heard Johnny Cash sing Barbie Girl. So, like, sky's the limit, yeah. apparently. Yeah. And Nirvana is a K-pop band. I'll have to, I'll have to show oh, you. My. This is not the timeline I signed up for. Smells <laughs> like Team Spirit in a major key hits very differently. Um, but but anyway, uh, Javi, please round us out when it comes to Spock and his role in this episode. I mean, I think everyone just everyone summed it up so perfectly. I mean, the big takeaway for me outside of the double entendres and and you know the motifs was just what Rachel was touching on. Like he's so there's so much emotion that's being conveyed in his song, but he does it in such a Spock like manner that it never gets like too outrageous, but it's very intense. And, uh, he just, you know, he's carrying on that fine Spock actor tradition and should probably follow Leonard Nimoy and drop a song about hobbits. (laughs) Certainly be a crowd pleaser. That's for sure. I found out recently that the only Star Trek performer to ever be nominated for an Emmy is Leonard Nimoy. I didn't realize that. Uh, maybe Ethan Peck could break the curse. Who knows? We'll have to see. Uh, oh, she's 10 points to the Bobbits. The Hobbits, sorry, I'm, uh, I can't type. <laughs> That's okay. Bobbits <laughs> is good too. I like, I, I kind of like Bobbits. But, um, well, let's, let's move on. We're getting close to the end here. And let's talk about Lieutenant James Tiberius <laughs> Kirk. That's like your Look alarm. It's your alarm clock, isn't it? It is. It is now. Because I'm it's... awake right now. <laughs> I just, it's I like the use... Discovery debrief drinking game. Is that what it is? <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Take a shot. There's the Kirk quote. Um, well, obviously, you know, there's not as big a canon moment here, but Laon undoubtedly feeling an emotional high that might normally trigger a song, at least based on the rules that are established over the course of the episode. She controls herself and she calmly explains her feelings to Jim. And Jim does not deny feeling something for her too, but also explains that, and this is new color, his on again, off again girlfriend, Carol, is pregnant with his child and she works on Starbase One. So it's not a song. Paul Wesley did do some singing in this in this episode uh, in more of like a supporting capacity. But Kirk does have roles, you know, in some of those other songs as well. What do you guys make of the substance of his appearances here? Because as far as I know, this is picture wrap on on old Jim Kirk for season two of Strange New World. So how did this bring things home for you guys in terms of exploring this guy? Uh, Kyle, you're steeped in Kirk world right now. Yeah. So start us off. Uh, I thought the Carol reference was excellent and I hadn't given two thoughts about that. Of course, it kind of makes, maybe it makes sense on the timeline for the guy and that's got to be David in the oven, right? Yeah. Um, I, I'm i sad that they didn't go any further uh, because, and maybe they still will, but because when, when Star Trek 2 comes around and Khan is trying to kill Kirk, I want it to be a little awkward for Kirk because, like, I want him to have, you know, banged Lon, for example. And I'm just been like, <laughs> this is this is really uncomfortable for me while he's trying to save his crew. Anyway, um, I went a long way for that one. Minus ten points to myself. <laughs> <laughs> you got time to recover. 
Um, but it, it was nice because they didn't sing it. I thought that was an interesting uh, story choice choice for Lawn. It shows. I think that was like a progress and progression of the uh, the plot in a sense, sort of proving the uh, the theory. And uh, Kirk's response was nice. You know, he's. He's a two-timer. He, he was almost ready to cross over and be like, you know what? Maybe I do have one in the oven. 100%, but why, man. But why not two in the oven? I can put two different ovens. You know, he, he has that kind of vibe. All right. He's a man yeah. of many ovens. He Look, he's he's complicated. <laughs> no one understands him but his women. There you go. Yeah, we, uh, that's something I'm going to have to pull too. We've, we, I, I swear that we've sung the beginning of Shaft like six, yeah, that's, seven that's times. a few times <laughs> over the years. Uh, well, uh, Javi, how about you in terms of like the the stuff that we learned about the relationship dynamics, but also just you know picture wrap on on Lieutenant Kirk in Strange um, World too. Before we get to La Antonia. I'm going to try and make that. I'm going to try and will that into existence. Oh yeah. Um, uh, with with Sam in the transporter room, like it felt like there was going to be a moment where they were going to sing to each other and kind of hash out some of the sibling rivalry that's been brewing over the course of the show. So I was kind of surprised that they didn't have a number. I don't know if it's because the other actor doesn't really sing or it just got cut for time. Cause I mean, we're already at an hour for this episode. So I, that felt like it was a missed opportunity, even if it was um, them doing like a Shatner style song where they just kind of talked at each other, but with music in the background and kind of hashed out how they felt. Um, but in terms of like Wesley, I felt like this was um like he just gets better and better for me with every episode. And I really felt like he wasn't, we talked about this before he wasn't doing a Shatner impression, but I felt that energy of Jim Kirk a lot in this episode, um, both like his charm and his, I don't know, just his character really came through for me. And, and it really struck me getting that, you know, Carol Marcus reference and how Laon would, would actually like her and just, I don't know, just hearing that be part of the live action canon because it's not something that's really been touched on before. Like my only reference point is Star Trek annual two that I think Peter David wrote where it was kind of like the Academy Kirk's Academy experiences and how he met Finnegan and how he met Carol and, um, even though it was just the tiniest of Easter eggs, like it, I, I don't know. There's something about that moment that just really hit me hard um, and why they, you know, can't be together um, mm-hmm. because he's got Carol and uh, yeah, I, I, it was a great scene and it just kind of, you felt like there was more coming and then we went to commercials. So we never got to pick up on that again. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was very reluctant, especially after, the first appearance we saw of him last year. Um, but he's become a great James T Kirk. Yeah. You know, you mentioned that I really liked when he first beamed aboard the ship and he thanks number one. It was like, even though this isn't really necessary at all, you know, like he, he's very, very sure of himself and what he brings to the table, which is very, uh, uh, Kirk esque to me. Uh, 
Rachel, the, uh, the, the use of, of Jim Kirk in this episode and the picture wrap on Paul Wesley for season two. Um, I just thought it was really funny that this is the first time in my life I've ever seen you do baby math where you were sitting there going, wait, David is 26 in such and such <laughs> in 22 something. So he would be, well, Mer- wait a second. Merritt Buttrick was 26 when Wrath of Khan came out. So that's was like, well, if they're the same, maybe they're the same age, but yeah, uh, you're yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, you, you just, it's not typical for Chris to care about those types of things. So I was, I thought it was very funny, but yeah, I, um, I would have been a little bit more like, I think intrigued had I, you not been next to me going doing baby math beforehand, because <laughs> I was like, Oh, I guess you would be with Carol at this time. You're right. Um, and then he said it and I'm like, oh, okay. Um, so, so you ruined the episode for me, Chris. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not, I'll see myself out. No, you didn't. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I always, I like Paul Wesley as Kirk. I like seeing him. Um, he didn't really have to be in this episode, but, uh, <laughs> as he said himself, it was unnecessary. But yeah, I liked the, there was a resolution for Lon, mm-hmm. his feelings. So um, that's for, good. So overall good. As yeah. far as we know, at least, right? For now. Akiva Goldsman said, we have not seen the last of Jim Kirk's love life in Strange New Worlds. So Carol's leaving the picture. Well, I mean, she she wants to, as far as we know. I but like him. I, 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 don't, I don't know. It's It's a strange relationship. And it's honestly, this episode made it weirder between Kirk and Carol. Yeah, that's true. So, like, it seemed very like, oh, she's pregnant. Yeah, but Uh, like, I don't know. Like in Star Trek Two, she's very like just matter of fact, and and he says to her, "I did what you wanted. I stayed away." And it's like, what was that conversation like? You know, Uh, people are weird. You're telling me. Oh, <laughs> uh, picking it back up now. Uh, Cicero, the picture wrap on Paul Wesley as uh, as Lieutenant Kirk in this season, and just his use in the episode. Um, you know, I I, I want to speak to his use in the episode because, um. I agree with everything that Rachel said, except for the fact that he didn't need to be in this episode. I think he needed to be in this episode so that La'an could have that moment and find out that she has to stop pining over this Kirk, right? That the, the man that she loved is gone and she can't pin her hopes on this, on this Kirk because He's, you know, he's with some chick who got, he knocked up, right? So he's got to do the right thing because he's Kirk, right? Like, otherwise, you know, it'd be on a popping, but, you know, <laughs> I, I can't, you know. Um, so my, my thing is leading me to believe, my prediction is that La'an is going to disappear from history. And mm-hmm. she's going to go back to Toronto and and save that Kirk 
and they're going to live in the 21st century together. Yep. Um, and you mean and, you know, exactly what I said was going to happen mm-hmm. on the Lower right. Decks crossover episode? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I get credit if this happens. Yes, this no. yes, yes. Well, we, right, fries, pet beaver, everything. <laughs> We've got two competing theories for Laon's future here that we're going to have to compare notes on whenever this yeah. is finally fully resolved. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I just, I just, I just think that she. Uh, just yeah, like like uh, like Ty said during the the lower decks episode that the fact that Boimler didn't you know he was geeking out about everybody else, but he didn't geek out about Laon. Um, She's becoming a walking time paradox. Right, right, exactly. Um, and and this would this would be the out that the character needs. And and would allow her to live, you know, happily ever after, which is something she deserves. Mm-hmm. Um, after being, you know, scared and chased by the Gorn and all that other stuff, which uh, I, I know I've gone completely off the rails, but dude, I know we're gonna go to the Gorn next week for the finale, but like they teased the Gorn at the beginning of the season, and like we've been pretty Gorn free. Like there's been a lot of stuff <laughs> happening, yeah. but we've been pretty Gorn free um, for, for the entire season. And now we're going to like nine episodes yeah. without a Gorn attack. They're going to have to reset the sign. Next <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> um, yeah. So that, I mean, that's, that's a, that's a weird thing to do, I guess, but eh, whatever. Let's, let's, let's see it work. Yeah, sure. Uh, you wanted to add something? Yeah, I forgot to to mention. I I'd spoken with you. I texted you about it, Chris. Has anyone watched the Ready Room with Well Wheaton about this episode? Yes, yes. Yeah, he he brings up Kirk's history of Laon um, about a possibility of why he makes the decision he does in Space Seed at the end, and why he sends Khan to City Alpha Five. Six. I was getting mixed up. So did and why he? So did Kirk. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and why he doesn't, you know, check up on him and just kind of leaves him off on his own. That maybe his feelings for Laon color his reactions with Khan to the point where you know, kind of just lets things go and maybe being a little too altruistic about what's going to happen. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah, we'll have to. I do like that. See. You know, I wouldn't mind like a flash forward in twenty two eighty five when word that Khan was still around gets out, but before the Reliant is destroyed, and she like goes after him because she totally oh. would. That might be fun, uh, even though it wouldn't go anywhere, but it still might be fun to see. Uh, Ty, the uh, the end of Paul Wesley as Captain or Lieutenant Kirk for this season and his use in the episode. Uh, yeah, Kirk is just chaos. He brings chaos <laughs> to this ship. Uh, like I said, he, he stands Voyager close to, uh, La'an in this episode and we have widescreen TVs. Now you do not need to stand Voyager close to people. <laughs> uh, you can stand a normal distance away from them when you talk to them. He's just so obviously right. Like he's just hoping that the conversation that she has with him never happens. And he hopes that he can just 
flirt and flirt and flirt until he never has to deal with that. Um, I really thought he was a creep in this episode. Um, I really liked watching Lon's face when he says, oh yeah, like I know I've been following you around, flirting with you, saying I'm so glad we're on a team together, you know, leaning over you while we fix the transporter. Uh, but I actually have a pregnant girlfriend. And when you watch Lon's face and her reaction, it is the only reaction uh, that a person could give to that without just completely uh, losing it. Um, so, you know, I just think it's really interesting, like uh, what what they're doing with the character. Um, and he's had moments where he does show great leadership, um, but he is like the least Starfleet material of anybody on this show. It's crazy. And he's got some growing to do, you know, which Una identified. Yeah. So, you know, we'll, who would you put in charge of the ship right now? Uhura or Kirk? The tardigrade. If like stuff was hitting the fan, you know? <laughs> Uhura. It's, yeah. Uhura is probably a little more reliable. Uh, but hey, you, you never know. It depends on the situation, too. So, you know, it's a meritocracy, right? That's the ideal. So, well, uh, we've saved the best for last because the final character that we have to talk about is Ensign Neota Uhura. Um, Celia Rose Gooding, I think it's fair to say, is the most accomplished vocalist in this uh, ensemble. But I also found her song, Keep Us Connected, to be genuinely good. And it's likely my favorite of all of the ones that were featured in this episode uh, by, by a lot. Uh, but we also got a really, at least I thought, effective distillation of her role, uh, the importance of her role, and sort of a manifestation of what she's overcome to find her place on the Enterprise and more. Um, so lay it on me, guys. Ahura in this episode and her song. Uh, Rachel, why don't you start us off with this near end? Yeah, I'm... This song was, again, good. Um, I'm sort of contradicting myself by being like, the songs aren't good. And then everyone, I'm like, no, this was a good song. Uh, <laughs> no, this song was good. Um, you can really tell that Celia Rose Gooding is a Broadway performer. Sure. Um, by the way they deliver <laughs> the song. Um, and I mean that as a compliment. Um and again, I thought it's a little bit boring the way that it's like staged and shot. Um, like I just as like I feel like musicals should have a little more interest or something. I'm not an expert on how to like make films. Are, are you talking but, like dynamism in the camera work? Is that what you're? Referring to? I I don't know. Yeah. See, I quite put my foot on okay. it, but it just like doesn't it like doesn't seem like a musical the way it's being mm-hmm. shot. And I get my brain would get bored. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that that's just my complaint there. Um, but it was, you know, otherwise it, it's really it was really nice, and I and like I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. okay, uh, Cicero, Ensign uh, Uhura, and keep us connected. Uh, well, um, yeah, she is by far the best vocal performer on the, on the, on the cast. And so by far, this was the best vocal performance, um, of, of anyone. Um, and you know, I expected that and, uh, Celia's amazing, right? Like when they're performing 
it just seems effortless. Um, and, and you got to see that, but I was really affected by the narrative that, that the song conveyed, uh, because when I sat back and thought about Uhura, both the, the past, um, you know, both the backstory that has developed over the the two seasons in Strange New World and, you know, what we know Uhura to become she is alone and and like the fact that that Uhura was singing about that 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 I have to be as you know at 22 right so we we've officially canonized by by her own admission that she's 22 years old um that you have to resign yourself to the fact that you will be alone. That is your that is your fate. That is your role, right? In order for you to be the most effective, that is who you need to be. And I was really, really struck by that. Um, and yeah, so I, you know, I don't know whether it was the performance, whether it was the narrative, whether it was a combination of of um, how they've portrayed the character and 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 what we've gone through and all the history that we there have there. I don't know if it was that the edibles started to kick in at that precise <laughs> moment. Um, whatever it was, it really really hit me, uh, and I I ate it all up. It was it was delicious. Mm. Well, you know, we dog on Star Trek Five a lot on this show, but just in terms of her being alone, let's see how things go down when she meets one Montgomery Scott. Why not? Let's see. Let's just see. Let's see what it's like. Oh gosh. Hey, who knows? Uh, Kyle, how about you in terms of uh, Ahura's role here, the song, of course, and, uh, and what Cicero mentioned. Uh, I, I agree with uh, Cicero and that she is this actor. Definitely killed it. Definitely has done this before. Uh, it was probably the most professional take, and most of the takes are professional. So you you could tell she comes from a world where she's comfortable doing this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and she seemed to be like a central character to the whole her and Lon to the whole uh, to the whole situation on the ship. It's usually those two cleaning things up, and that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. It is sad uh, that she's alone, though. Sure. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that before, but like she didn't really pair off in TOS, no, or the movies. They have to give her something on Strange New World, right? Scotty, we haven't seen Scotty yet. Like he's 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 in their future romantic relationship. They are in Star Trek Five. Oh, yeah. I mean, we they, don't watch that one. No, we don't. But <laughs> <laughs> they never mentioned it before. Or afterward, or after, but right. like it was, it was there. Star so, Trek Five would have made a better musical than a movie. That, now that might be worth exploring. What someday. does God need with a starship? But the musical number? Come on, <laughs> what does God need with a starship? Yeah, I, I could see it pretty easily. Uh, Ty, what did you make of uh, of Keep Us Connected and Ahura's role here? Uh. Yeah, this performance was amazing. Uh, I really liked, like, the performance was strong. The, I, I loved the song. The song had had movement. Um, and I kind of, like, 
I, I guess I a little bit disagree with Kyle's take. Like I, I almost thought like the, the kind of point of the last verse of the song was like, it's not sad that she's alone. And she's actually mm-hmm. like, I, I thought it was really cool for her to recognize that like, uh, yeah, maybe like for some people, um, you know, they need to pair off, they need to have a partner. Um, and maybe I almost had somebody like that with Hemmer, like maybe a mentor type of, you know, relationship, not, um, not like a romantic relationship or anything like that, but like, um, and, and her kind of realizing like, no, I can, I can be a complete me, right? Like there's not a part of me that's missing just because I don't have, um, that constant partner in my life. And I thought that was, um, a really cool message. I think that's something that, can apply to um, a lot of folks in their real lives. And is a message that we like, just don't ever get from uh, a lot of the media we consume, um, especially around like uh, stuff like holidays and things like that. I know that can be uh, difficult for some folks, uh, you know, for, for different reasons, like in different life circumstances. And so I just thought it was really cool. Like I just looked at it as almost another form of representation, uh, which is something I think Star Trek has gotten really good at to show that like, hey, yeah, the norm might be that the happy ending means finding a partner, but it doesn't have to be that way for everybody. It might not be that way for you. And uh, you can still be content and complete and uh, pretty awesome at your job uh, because Spock got too emotional and walked out on you. <laughs> you had to clean up his mess because he had to go <laughs> cry in his room. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, very well said. Uh, Javi, round us out with Ahura. I, I really just loved how we started the whole episode off with um, seeing Ohura multitask and connect everyone and, and the franticness that she conveyed of, of trying to do it all. And the, that you guys have touched on before, just like the um, professionalism and the competence that these characters have when they're doing their job, like she's excellent at her job. And, and then how that kind of comes back at the end and, it's not really something I've ever, I don't think I've really thought about much when it comes to this character of just how vital she really is to the ship. Like she literally brings everyone together. So it's fitting that she's the one who unites them in the song, not just because they're a talented um, performer, but like she really is like the heart of, of the enterprise and, and the voice of the enterprise. And I just, the whole, the whole thing just blew me away about how important she really is. Um, and then I'd shared with you, Chris, that I'd done some research on her trying to find out what her Grammy was for and found out that, um, her father, when she was a year and a half old died on nine 11 in the terrorist attacks and them watching the performance after that and how that, adds a different layer to the pain of when she's singing about losing her parents and her brother and Hemmer and just like how much of that of, of her, of Celia is coming out in Ohura and just the way that we see her now with all the backstory and characterization we've gotten from her, she's become one of like my favorite characters and not just this show, but like all Trek. Um, Yeah. So I, like you guys have said, it was just a powerhouse from her. Yeah. Javi, you, she has this line where she's like, I absorb all the pain. And then her next line is just, mm, but 
the way she delivers that mm, you're like oh yeah she's she's absorbed some pain yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah. true enough but she's yeah. she takes it in but it doesn't scar her or or at least not in the way where she's bitter and brooding about it it doesn't like, break her it, yeah it, it, she has like this strength that we really get to see in the show and how and that brightness of her spirit that just it's infectious and it, we see that at the end yeah yeah it does swing up you know like everywhere i go i'm good with solo isn't that how she ends the last right, verse right, so yeah right. hey no, I mean the the service that this show has done to, for Ahura at large, like it's kind of a dereliction of duty that we hadn't gotten as much development from Ahura before. Like the stewards of the previous stewards of the original series characters were clearly missing something that the creative team of Strange New Worlds is not missing at all. So it's very cool to see that she's being built out this way, and yeah, she has become. Uh, one of the show's top characters. Absolutely. Um, well, we're going to do final thoughts. Uh, we're going to do thoughts on the grand finale. We are one and final thoughts on the episode as a whole. And you guys mentioned in our active comments, you know, we would be absolutely remiss. Arguably look, one of the single most polarizing things that I have seen in my entire life as a Star Trek fan, Klingon boy band, uh, it was a clip that like it was a segment that lasted what 30 seconds if that I think less than that yeah and uh and still the reactions to this my god so you know feel free to mention the Klingon boy band segment as much or as little as you want but just your appraisal of the finale and the episode as a whole um Kyle I want to throw it to you first just because I know that you have felt like this genre is incompatible with your preferences for what you like to see from the franchise. So in these moments where everything's coming together and now it's in the rearview mirror and you can appraise it based on other components of the franchise that you've seen and, you know, weighing for Klingon boy bands, what's your, what's your take here? Uh, I um, I'm glad it's in the rearview mirror. I, 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 I'm happy people liked it. A lot of fans online liked it. Um, but I'm just I'm uncomfortable with the genre hopping. For me, it pops the the bubble of disbelief of visiting this universe. And so, like this was, and they've been trying to do this kind of thing in Trek for 20 years. You know, they were talking about trying to squeeze one in on DS9, and um. I'm glad they got it out of their system. <laughs> let's let's get back to the regular scheduled program, and I, I'll be a little, little bit happy camper. Uh, that Klingon stuff, though, um, I've seen the comments I've seen talked about how I don't know how to describe it. How it that moment, as short as it was, flirts with something a little bit inappropriate in terms of the style of music they chose for who was singing it compared to everything else they've been singing in these ep- in this episode. And I don't think they're right, but I don't know how to feel about it. It did feel kind of on a particular nose all of a sudden that the rest of the episode definitely wasn't doing. What was your knee jerk in the moment while you were watching it? Did you like recoil or? Oh, I was recoiling the whole episode, man. 
<laughs> I was in a I was in a little bit of a fetal position, but you know, that didn't change at this moment. Sure, yeah. All right, well, fair enough. Um, in terms of the finale at large, how did you think it brought everything home? Uh, the song, I you yeah. know, s- s- summed it up. Probably the better piece. I think if I had to pick favorites, it's either this one or the Mess Hall Ten Ford piece. Okay, maybe. Yeah, all right. Definitely yeah. more camera work, and and yeah, to Rachel's point, like the songs they sang in engineering, like the camera was no offense to those operators, but they were asleep, man. Mm-hmm. Like, There's no bar- barely any blocking, barely any camera movement, and the musicals you want to you want to fling the camera around a bit. And uh, yeah, this whole episode suffered from that in, in variations. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you for sharing. Appreciate it. Uh, Javi, how about you? Uh, the, the finale, final thoughts on the episode, and of course, Doch uh, uh, Sink, so to speak. I, I've been, I guess, just in a blinder. I haven't really seen a lot of discourse on this about this episode because i just okay. been busy watching it so i don't know <laughs> what the general reaction was but when that that moment happened uh brooke and i just burst out laughing in a good way like we both got a kick out of it um but i i would be with kyle where i felt like that was the the highlight of the show for me uh i just liked seeing how it all came together and tying in different aspects of musicals and, and bringing everyone in and the excitement and the energy uh, rose as the song was getting its conclusion, even with that, you know, the, the ships were dancing with each other. It's like, you got to give it some, because it's a musical, I kind of give it a little bit more artistic license than I would um, some other things uh, because of that heightened reality that a musical brings. So it, it didn't ruin it for me at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, now I thought, I thought it was a great capper. And then to, you know, bring that optimistic tone of Star Trek and then close it out with, you know, the classic uh, Star Trek theme, like the old sixties theme. And so everyone's celebrating, but then you still get that great moment of, of Spock and chapel mm-hmm. where things aren't okay. And that improv of Pike dancing with um, Carol Kane at the end too was just a nice touch, and just, <laughs> yeah. just everyone celebrating. Yeah, yeah, true enough. Uh, yeah, you're Kyle. You just mentioned uh, we didn't really mention the theme song being sung a cappella in the intro, but yes, yeah, this is it was a choice, right? I mean. So that actually did that work for you then? Uh, yeah. Strangely, harken back to the original series. Like the intro was very voicey, soprano hitting the high notes in the the TOS opening. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, well, Ty, why don't you let us know your thoughts here on uh, on the finale, on the episode as a whole, and what did you make of the the Doc Talk boys? <laughs> yeah. I was very skeptical of this episode overall going in, um, but it, it has turned out to be one of my favorites um, and had a few songs that have really been stuck in my head for several days here. 
the finale is not one of them for me. It was not one of my favorite songs. Um, I did like, uh, it was cool at the beginning. It almost continues the, uh, the melody from Uhura's song. And she starts to sing, is it up to me to save the enterprise? Like all on my own. And then she's like, no, it's not. And then the, the mood totally shifts into this, like, let's all get up to 344 electro gigan volts. And like, this plan is so dumb. It just might work. And it was just like, it was so self-aware. Like they knew it was a silly plan, but like, we all knew that's where it had to go. Right. And it was just like, it just felt like they leaned into it. Um, the Klingon thing, like, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I did think it was funny. It made me like my initial reaction was a laugh immediately followed by like, a uh, I don't know about this. Uh, both, uh, both times that I've watched, uh, the episode, I think for me, they just pushed the, like, make your blood scream was a line that didn't really, uh, work <laughs> super well for me. Like, I think they maybe just pushed the joke a little far for me. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think there's like a, like, obviously there's a genre shift, right? Like the whole thing is like, it's, it's not like we're spanning a bunch of musical genres with this show, right? It's like, we're doing the American songbook. Like this is like a traditional, like the songs are all kind of trying to fit in with that kind of theme. And then like the one time that you break totally free from that and do like a pop with a little bit of like trap beat kind of thing, right. Is like also the race that's like only ever portrayed by black people. Right. And like has had a weird history with how they're portrayed in the past by the series. Right. Like that's what we're talking about just to give words to it. Um, and so I, I could see that reaction. Um, but you know, I'd be, be curious whether anybody's, uh, has genuine feelings over it or just uh, a feeling that they should react to it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, it, it just to back up to the overall episode, it worked for me so, so much better than I thought it would. I was so nervous and, and kind of not looking forward to it. And when, when, when that music just started out of nowhere and Spock just, when he starts singing apologies, I seem to be like, I, I was just like in from there on out and I really enjoyed it. Cool. Glad to hear it. Well, uh, Cicero, what are your final thoughts on the episode overall? The the finale song and the the musical stylings of ninety eight Kellicams. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, and you know what? And and to be fair, and, and I'm glad that that Ty, uh, you know, Ty's my boy, and and he just he does things so well. Um, you know, I'm glad Ty actually put some voices to it, right? Because so as as the the person who who looks closest to a Klingon on on this panel, um, I will say that I interpreted ninety eight degrees and not you know and not some hip hop thing um, when I when I saw the Klingons. Um, the whole thing was ridiculous, right? But the whole episode was ridiculous, and and. Uh, so when I saw that, I like I laughed and I groaned because it was it was hilarious and lame and and perfectly fitting for what the Klingons would sound like in this moment where like if they had to have a musical, they couldn't also be American standards. They had to be something absurd. There's not enough stabbing in the American standards. Yeah. Right, right. Exactly. And, and, uh, you know, there's 
plenty of stabbing in boy bands. Dude, so, I love the uh, guy answers the he answers the hail and he and he he starts speaking. He's like, "Why are you?" And then the emotion overtakes him right away, right. and he like bursts into song, and his chair like slides back. <laughs> and so shout, shout out to Bruce Horak. Bruce Horak, yes, he's back. Hammer is oh, back. Wait, oh, was he the main? That was yeah, the, uh, yeah. I missed that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, like. It was it was so stupid. It was so dumb. I loved it all. It was great. Um, and then, you know, and there were so many moments in this episode that were so dumb. Right? The whole premise is like Douglas Adams levels of absurdity. Right? The improbability cortex. Like wh- what? <laughs> you know? <laughs> like uh, uh, like it's a that portal. That right? Does that portal take you to the restaurant at the end of the at the end of the universe? <laughs> right? Like, what what is what is going on? It, so, all of that was was goofy. The 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 last number was good. Um, it wasn't as good as a horror's number, um, it, and those ensemble numbers. You know, it all seems again. It's ridiculous. Everyone's you know they're they're uh, full full. Uh, like final troop, everybody's out in the woodworks in the hallways dancing, and you know, because that's the only place you can dance on the ship is in the hallways, and uh, and you know, and it, like there weren't enough to me during the course of the episode. There weren't enough like harmonies or um, you know, or duets even in these big, you know, even in the big numbers for like a true musical, when you had seven or eight different people singing at, at different times. Um, So like, it would have been awesome to have two of those people sing in a song or at least kind of take the lead in the song. And I don't feel like even in the, in the final number uh, they, they really did have that. Um, the opening number I loved. I loved that opening number. Um, that I was when like like Ty as soon as as soon as Spock said apologies, saying apologies, and like when that number ended, I was like, oh yeah, I'm ready. <laughs> and then they started the acapella, the, yeah, right. The, you know the acapella, and I was like, oh, you know, this was a choice. It it was weird, but it was cool. I'm you know I'm digging it. And I was hoping that the songs would be as good as the opening number. And I think for the most part, they weren't. There were a few that were were equally as good and, and you know, and like maybe one or two that were better. But like uh, the, the episode, though, itself was was fantastic. I didn't know what to expect. I did know that there were some talented people there, but... Wasn't sure if they were going to be able to do something great with the talented people that they had at their disposal, um, but they did. They did. They they did something great, and you know, it was such a good musical that I was ready to watch it again. Um, it was such a good musical that it made me think about some of my favorite episodes and and inspired me to watch some of my favorite musical episodes in in television fandom again. So. Um, yeah, kudos, kudos again to uh, to the cast and crew over at Strange New Worlds because you you did it, you did it, 
you did another another good one. <laughs> well said. Rachel, your final thoughts on this episode, the grand finale. And uh, I, I've run out of boy band names to reference. Those are like the only three that I know. Uh, the Klingon boy band. <laughs> okay. I mean, I thought the Klingon boy band was funny. Um, I didn't read very much into it personally. You laughed pretty hard. Yeah. At that. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, and the oh, the closing number, totally cromulent. Um, <laughs> it was fine. Um, overall, I mean, this just wasn't my favorite episode. Um I like musicals and I just felt like this was just kind of like a medium musical and like a fine episode of strange new worlds. Like the plot was really ridiculous. Um, I found myself bored a lot during the songs as I've mentioned. <laughs> um, so yeah, I just, I just can't say that it was definitely my favorite um, I am certainly not offended by its existence. I think, you know, that Star Trek gets goofy a lot. Um, I When we were looking for uh, Spockner's Chapel uh, episode, the moments we were scrolling through some episodes, I noticed Kirk fights vampires. I noticed <laughs> Spock's brain. I definitely remember uh, Beverly Crusher fucking a ghost. <laughs> So, I, you know, Star Trek has done some weird things. I'm happy that they're doing weird things and taking big swings. I like it. It just, you know, this episode wasn't for me. Okay. And that's fine. Yeah. So, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, and, and to that point, I mean, I've seen certain people, at least in the circles that I am exposed to via social media, say that this is potentially somehow like damaging to the franchise and, that's not something I can really get behind with any uh, significance. I mean, you know, it was damaging to, to Star Trek uh, planet racism in season one of TNG. That was pretty damaging yes. to Star Trek planet of Nazi society removed from earth. It's the very next episode or the episode before that. It's not, not a great look, you know, all things considered. Um, some people love the clown that Michael McKeon played, but you know, it's not, particularly for me. And then of course, yeah, Scottish ghosts that are horny for Dr. Crusher. Uh, those are the things, I mean, I like piece of the action, but I don't think it's a masterpiece. Uh, you know, it, 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 Star Trek. Did you do the alien that uh, impregnates uh, Troy kind of ish? Oh, yeah, boy. Did that one? no, I, I, yeah. honestly, I forgot about that. Until Space you mentioned Salamander. Oh, sorry. Space Salamander. There you go. Yeah. Space Salamanders. No, that's who, iconic. Like Paris right. and Janeway Pro, mated as Space Salamanders. Yeah. Like that is in the canon. Where's, I think we can take. Where's that musical number? Right. Yeah. I mean, with that stuff in the franchise, I think we can take a musical episode that, you know, you can argue about execution all you want, but it aligns with the ethos of the franchise. You know, that final number, it's not my favorite of the episode. But it talks about a lot of the themes that are present in a lot of the best examples of Star Trek. So I'm good with that. But totally understand why it doesn't work for people. I think it was a worthy exercise. Star Trek gets weird. They encounter strange new worlds, boldly going where no one has gone before. Why not this? You know, I think there's room for it. 
but you know, we'll see what happens in the future. Well, if they go back to this well again in the, in the future, then they would need a pretty good reason to, but I can't see him doing it again. Maybe lower decks might flirt with it, but I just can't see it. Yeah. Well, I think this was a one and done. And I think they, uh, they, they obviously had fun doing it. Yeah. Well, when we're talking about season 10 of strange new worlds, you know, we'll have to revisit these, these comments, you know? So, well, uh, I think I'm going to forego pedantic continuity time again. I'm pulling, pulling rank here because again, memory alpha editors kind of weak, kind of weak. Dr. Roger Corby. Yes. We know he's in what are little girls made of. We know he's destined to die. That's what Chapel apparently gets for spurning Spock. Uh, but we're all destined to die, Chris. <laughs> Thank you. What a wonderful <laughs> note. What a high note. I love that. Yeah, yeah. We're worm food guys. I'm just saying it's not a pu- it's not a punishment for leaving Spock because everybody dies. Earworm I food. Yeah. Unless it's a Genesis planet and you know. There you, yeah, there you go. <clears throat> there were the worms on the canister t- anyway. Um, I do like that Captain Battelle got a first name like a person. I, that that had bugged me that she didn't have one. I had mentioned that last before. one more episode. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll, when we get yeah. together in a week, we'll we'll have to we'll have to talk about that. I mean, there's um, a reason Pike goes off with Vina and not Captain Battelle. That's true. In the, in the menagerie, she's yeah. also destined to die, Chris. Yeah. Yes. Or maybe she's Antonia. We don't know. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, boy. No, that That's her middle be, name. That would be super awkward. Right? Yeah. That, no, let's strike that from the record. Well, um, in that event, uh, Kyle, thank you for joining us again. You have any. Uh, I know you said you were fresh out of wisdom last time, but surely your coffers are replenished. What wisdom do you have to share with us? And is there anything you want to tell? our listeners about what you're working on. Uh, no wisdom and Kirk. Yeah, I know nothing, man. Nothing. Next time. Next time. Next time. Kirk. essay. looking forward to it. Javi, thank you again for joining us. Uh, Is there anything you wanted to share with people before we uh, sign off? No, just thanks for having me once again. This is like my fourth episode and you know, there's, only been nine strange new worlds this year. So I'm just an honor to be here and talk with you guys and about something that I really love. And um, if you want to see other things that I do that, uh, that I love, I've got a YouTube channel, the flash up to speed with Wally West. And I write some comic reviews on Batman on film.com. Excellent. Thank you for joining us. It's always a pleasure to have you. And of course, thank you to the other members of our esteemed panel. Always a pleasure to get together with you guys. It's a highlight of my week. Um, I always enjoy talking Star Trek with you whenever we have the opportunity. But that is going to do it for episode number 104 of Discovery Debrief. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please like and follow us on our social media channels. And if you'd be so kind, we'd also appreciate it if you wrote a review for the show wherever you found it. It only takes a minute and let us know if you wrote one and we'll be happy to read your review on the air when it's posted. If you have any questions, you can follow the show on Twitter or you know whatever it is, at DSC Debrief. And feel free to send us questions through that platform or by emailing us at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes and be sure to join us next time as we discuss another adventure and the season finale for Strange New Worlds. 
which is being added to the fabled legacy of the name Enterprise. As always, though, until we meet again, please go boldly, my friends. (laughs) 